0: so that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: Hello, this is Chris Safarova. I run firmsconsulting.com and strategytraining.com. Welcome to another great session. We're here with Daphne Jones. Daphne has more than 30 years of experience in general management and executive level roles at IBM, Johnson Johnson, and General Electric, but began her career actually as a secretary. So an amazing, right? Amazing journey. I'm looking forward to for you, Daphne, to share with us. And Daphne also recently started her own company that teaches leaders how to prepare to serve on boards. Welcome, Daphne. So great to have you with us today.
2: Thank you so much, Chris. It's great to be here. And hello to everyone out there.
1: Daphne, to begin with, could you maybe take us back and share with us your backstory? Because you have an incredible story to share
2: yeah it's uh it was pretty incredible and i I really don't believe that I am here sometimes because uh, I was I was born into one of the poorest places to live in Illinois, a place called Phoenix, Illinois, and I was born to immigrant parents. My mom and dad were both from Jamaica and they came to America to live the dream. And, um, and and so part of that dream, unfortunately for my mother, was she ended up cleaning bedpans in a hospital, um, turning patients over, changing sheets. So she was you know, that kind of a, a person, not a nurse. Uh, and my father uh, had the assembly line that he did uh, piece Piecework uh, on a factory floor on the midnight shift. And so um, they were undereducated. I won't say they had no education, they were undereducated. Um, and I never really knew that I was poor until I grew up and saw the abundance of other people. Um, I, I have had, I've risen through many tough challenges as a, as a young girl. Um, and throughout my entire life, I was given limits and labels and, and was told or shown as a young girl how I would not ever make it. Um, but in this poor city of Phoenix, Illinois, there was only liquor stores and, and uh, little tiny bodegas and a bunch of churches. We didn't have a grocery store, we didn't have a post office, we didn't have the many things that you would see in, in large towns. So I, my mother would say, Daphne, whoever has your mind has you. You've got to surround yourself with people who are making it and do really good and study hard. And she had that dream for me, except where I lived, there was only blue collar workers there I didn't know what a, sec, a senior Vice President was and they often say that if you want to be it, you have to see it well I couldn't see it. And so, but she's still encouraging me to do the best and she said Daphne we're from Jamaica we're under the British rule and Britons are really great and they're smart they're innovative and I want you to be more like that. I said okay all right, whatever that meant, and so I uh, did well I skipped first grade because of her I uh, she would send me out into the alley and she would say Daphne I want you to bring back in the House two plus three rocks. And of course she knew that she was testing me on my math and if I brought anything but two plus three rocks I was going to get in trouble so she really hammered home English and math to me. And so, so much to the point that I, I ended up skipping first grade. And so I went through school and, you know, gotten, I've gotten beaten up uh, racial violence as a young girl and, and older in high school. And then it was time for me to get ready for college. And, and I went to my high school counselor and I wondered why he didn't come to me. Cause I would think that they would come to me first and say, Daphne, you know, you're a sophomore or a junior, it's time to get ready for college. And, um, he didn't. So I went to him and he says, Daphne, black girls like you don't go to college. They go to secretarial school, maybe, and learn how to be a secretary. But you know, if you try to get in college, you won't get in. If you get in, you won't graduate, you'll probably flunk out. And if you do get out of college and graduate, no one's going to hire you because they just won't believe that you're meant for you know for working in at a post-college background. And so, you know, it was funny. I listened to him because he's an authority. And there's something to say about when somebody uses their voice. Our voices are so powerful, and what we say to ourselves. What I say to my six foot five husband, I could turn my six foot five husband into a five foot three man because I can beat him down with just the power of my voice. So the power of his voice was so, uh, even though it was misdirective, it misdirected, it was still powerful voice that, that moved me into being a secretary. So I did that. I went to work for Women's Day magazine in downtown Chicago. And I just thought I was just amazingly wonderful and had the best job in the world. There I was taking the train downtown to Chicago and uh, just, you know, me and some other black ladies were in there working. We take great lunch breaks and get hot dogs and sausages. And it was great. And the men, the, the Woman's Day magazine was run by all white men. And of course that that wasn't ironic to me at the time, but it certainly became ironic later that a woman's magazine was run by men. And um, I realized through a lot of mistakes that I made um, that, that I wasn't fit to do this job. And so one day after a big mistake that I made, I, I said, you know what, what they're doing is not rocket science. I should not be a secretary, I should have a secretary. And it was that moment where the my mind just shifted and and so I was like, like a dog with a bone or a cat with the rat or something I just I, I got to do this, this is what I'm going to do, and so I quit the magazine and um, and I ended up going to college. Of course, I went to college late because my high school class was already in college and I wasn't, so I had to wait. Um, but I went there and uh, took business classes. I actually wanted to go to law school as well, but that wasn't to be. And so I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in just three years instead of four. And I went on and got my MBA in one year instead of two. So all in all, I was able to skip three years of of school, you know, from a young girl at first grade until I until I um, graduated from from college. And so I realized that since, you know, I did that, whoever had my mind had me and the audio of what he was saying to me in my ear did not match the video that was playing out in my life. And so that moment taught me something also that just because someone says something's impossible, that's just their opinion. That's just what they think. And he he ended up giving me a narrative that was based on his paradigm, as opposed to me creating my own narrative based on what I knew to be true, that I was smarter than that, I was better than that, and that I could leap higher and further. And uh, and as a result, that has sort of been my life. I've always been this fighter who, you tell me I can't do that, then my response is just watch me work. And that's sort of how my life has played out. That's a really quick background.
1: It is an incredible story and it can really resonate. So I have a similar story to mm. yours because, so I started to become a pianist when I was in Russia. I grew up in the former Soviet Union. I started mm-hmm. to become a pianist. And then when I immigrated first time, and I immigrated three times in my life to end up here in this wonderful country of ours. And um, when I immigrated the first time, no one could find my degree in the directories. So I bought basically with no degree again, yeah. and I had to, again, look for whatever job I could find, do multiple jobs at the same time, mm. and also go back and study when I was older versus other students and study mm. part-time because I was working full-time plus mm-hmm. had additional jobs. So I really can resonate with what you you went through and yeah. thank you for being an example of what is possible. Yeah.
2: Thank you. And so you were you were older and working part-time, so you couldn't even move at their speed you had to move slower because you were also working.
1: Yes, I was working actually full-time. Plus I had additional part-time jobs. Yes, I was working full-time and I was an entrepreneur because I was teaching Russian, translating Russian, teaching uh, singing and teaching piano. So I I had full, full schedule.
2: Uh, Wow. Well, I guess you and I both are, you know, we're proud of our achievements. um, And I realized that, even though we've done a lot, I've had to break through glass ceilings. I've had to break through concrete ceilings. Um, I've had to learn to bite my tongue. Um, and and I've been encouraged to, as they say, drop your mic, you know, like stop talking, uh, you know, lower your voice. Don't be so aggressive. Don't be so tough. You know, and we've had had so many different adjustments that are told to us, especially women. Uh, and people of color um, as well, that we don't know how to be. You know, I was everything except just right. You know, I, I was everything but perfect. And you, you sort of get used to hearing that if it, if it bothers you and then you end up living that way. You end up believing that. And I think that's why a lot of women and other people don't aspire is because we've been given that misdirected information from the time we were young. And it grows up and grows up like little tiny seedlings. It grows up with us and becomes a big oak tree called imposter syndrome. So we believe what they told us and it, and that those beliefs got bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're like, am I really just a secretary, maybe in a very nice suit? They're going to find me out and they're going to find me and they're going to send me back to the secretarial camp or something. And that was sort of what was always in the back of my mind because maybe he was really right. Maybe I am just a secretary. And it's because of those seeds of of misdirection and and doubt that are planted in young girls' heads about basketball, about math, about science, about owning a business, about leading, anything. Uh, We are told those things. And I think it's just to to keep us down. But my book and, and my belief is that I want people to learn how to leap learn how to leap because i think if you don't leap you'll never reach and that's what i want people to be able to do
1: that is very true and the story you mentioned about this high school counselor it reminded me of of something i believe in and i always mention to my clients that your dreams are your own no one else has to believe in them you just must not listen to people who will try to stop you yes if you have that dream within you you have all the resources and you will find all the resources. Just go after it.
2: That's right, that's exactly right, Chris. That's exactly right. I totally believe that.
1: Daphne, what do you think were some of the qualities that you developed and you, your mom developed and you, you were born, kind of talents you were born with, anything that helped you find a way to rise much faster than an average person would once you actually entered corporate world?
2: Yes, um, I would say, you know, we talk about mindset and that is so important. Um, They say that whoever has your mind or whatever has your mind has you. So if you are hanging around people that are not going anywhere or very discouraging, then you're gonna be discouraged too. So I think it's your network and your mindset that have to sort of work together. But first it's your mindset. You have to say that no matter what is going on in my life, this goal is more important than this particular distraction that I'm going through. And so I've always been stubborn. I'm a stubborn girl, you know, and you tell me to do that, I'm gonna do something else. And I think um, my mindset has always been that I, I can do what I set my mind to do. So I really believe that your mindset, the growth mindset, and I didn't know all this at, you know, at 15 years old. I learned about the growth mindset as an adult. I learned about the fixed mindset. I learned about you know, believing because that counselor told me something that wasn't true. Then who else is telling me something that's not true? who else is telling me to stop dreaming and, and to stop stop reaching and leaping um, so that I think that was one thing that I had. I have made mistakes, I have um, had uh, I've, I've got a divorce and part of that divorce is a result of me not listening to all of the aspects of what I think are important to, to people and I call them the five F's. And I think my holding on to these five Fs after my first divorce, my only divorce, um, I think really made a difference for me. And those five Fs are your faith, your family, your finances, your fitness, and furthering your career. And I was always worried about furthering my career, Chris. It was always, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, more money, and and at nothing mattered to me except that, and then I didn't realize that everything that is worth having is worth wor- working for. And so including my marriage, I'm including my being in shape, including my faith and what I believe in. If I believe in God or some people believe in crystals and some people believe in planets or whatever, but having a faith about something that you believe in, I didn't really focus on those things. I was very narrow-minded, so I became that became a tool or a skill, if you will, that I began to uh, began to enjoy. Um, was was the the five Fs, and I would say perseverance is the third thing, um, and and that is um, not quitting. You know, um, I my tagline that I use now is find a way to win. When things just aren't going right don't quit the goal just find another way to go about it. Because the goal was important two years ago, five years ago 10 years ago, then unless there's a new goal that's more important then that's still the goal. And the question is, how will I find a way to win so perseverance. Is the thing you know I don't know if it was Gandhi that said this, but I like to attribute it to him, but it may not be him, he says first they ignore you, then they laugh at you. Then, then they fight you, and then you win. Well, if you if you back then when they're ignoring you and you quit, you don't win. If back then when they were laughing at you and you quit, you don't win. Back then when they were fighting you and you quit, you don't win. It's only when you win do you win, and when do you persevere. So I think it's the stubbornness of the mindset. It's the uh, five Fs that I think are important to everyone's life. Um, and knowing how healthy they are, and then uh, I would say perseverance. I'm not smarter than anybody. I just worked hard. I just worked hard, and uh, and and having a I think a network of people that uh, would lead. They they didn't leave breadcrumbs for me to follow because I just you know when I was a young girl I didn't have anybody that to follow. I just didn't know what his SVP did or anything. But eventually, over time, you start to realize there are people who are making it that are doing well, and then you start to build your network. um, up as well again it wasn't my skill it wasn't my my intellect it wasn't my knowledge of anything it was just you know following the the breadcrumbs of of what I see people doing and how they win.
1: Daphne, and for us to finish the story, because now we opened your life story, but then people may feel there's a gap. And I feel like we need to, of course, not finish the story, but finish the story up to this moment.
2: Up to this moment, yeah.
1: So you went, you did your undergrad, you did your MBA, and then you went into corporate. Maybe share with us what happened during that journey from there, that moment and up to now.
2: Okay, sure. Sure. So I have been. It. I'm just really proud and and still amazed that I've been able to work at some of the world's most recognizable companies. I've worked at IBM. I've worked at Johnson and Johnson. I've worked at Hospira, which uh, folks may not know. It's a pharmaceutical company that um, was bought out by Pfizer about five or six years ago. And then I worked at General Electric um, in their healthcare business. And uh, so since that time, I have risen up, you know, through the various concrete and glass ceilings. I retired from GE about four years ago, and I was the ranking African-American person in all of IT um, at at all of GE, right? And so I, I was ranking there. I have, you know, operated and run Um, teams in every continent, except Antarctica. I've never been to Antarctica, and I haven't run any teams there, but that was, uh, so I've done, you know, Africa, uh, you know, Australia, everywhere, uh, Asia, Um, I've had teams, and I've had hundreds of millions of dollars of budgets that I have, that I have, uh, had to manage. I've broken through ceilings where I was the first African-American, first woman actually, to report to the CEO and chairman of the board of a five billion, of this particular $5 billion company. Um, I am currently paid to, to serve on three multi-billion dollar international corporations. Um, and I serve on five, four committees on those boards as well. So in addition to being on a board, I'm also on those committees. I am um, uh, a pastor's wife, and I have four children um, and I have two two grandchildren. And then I have become a CEO of, of, a, of a startup that teaches executives who are typically like me, overlooked, undervalued, underappreciated, um, not fitting the particular pedigree and, and color and job uh, to be on a board, I teach uh, senior executives, how to be prepared to serve on the boards of of directors, not to get paid to do that. So it's not just you know, I want to be on a board. The question people need to ask is, are you ready? Have you curated yourself? Um, some people leave corporate America as as an operator and with their hands in the cookie jar, but when you're a board, your hands have to be off and they have to understand why and what that means. And so my company um, does that. So that's been my, my job. I've done everything from um, ins- implemented ERP systems. I've done things with artificial intelligence. I'm a cybersecurity person as well. Um, and you know, it's one of the reasons why I'm on these boards is because now you know, no longer are companies just manufacturing companies or service companies, they're actually digital companies. And uh, with any digital company, you're going to have the threat of cybersecurity or cyber insecurity. And so um, that's one of the, my the superpowers that I bring to the table is to is the cybersecurity, but also digital transformation um, and uh, strategic thinking, uh, talent management, um, DEI um, things like that are, are are very important to me as well. So that's sort of like in a five minute time frame um, what's happened in the rest of my life.
1: Such an incredible journey, and you managed to have a family and raise four children and now have grandchildren, and you look so young as well. <laughs> grandchildren. No one would believe that.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Daphne, how were you able to manage the family aspect, the time and effort and care it requires and attention, your mind space, it requires to raise children and being a successful businesswoman?
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's back to those five F's again. Um, I'll give you one example. It's about knowing. Um, it's, it's about knowing where those five F's are in their importance to you, and their health, how healthy are they. And so of course, we had babysitters and we had nannies and, and, and all that grandparents and, and all those things uh, coming coming into play. But I'll give you an example, when when my son, Jared, was a sophomore um, in, in high school, I got a chance to get promoted with Johnson & Johnson. And I talk about this in the book as well. And he, you know, you always have, I've always been told, never take your high school child out of high school and move them somewhere else, you know, some other state, some other part of the country or the world. And uh, because it's hard for teenagers to get along with other new teenagers because you know there are cliques that have formed since eighth grade, seventh grade, sixth grade, and to now be transplanted somewhere, it makes it really hard. And so um, I, it was a chance for me to become a vice president for the first time at Johnson & Johnson, and, uh, but I had to move from New Jersey to San Francisco or, or LA. I forgot which city, but it was in California. And, um, and, and I had to tell them no, because I looked at my five Fs and I said, okay, I know, you know my husband could handle some things, but I know my son couldn't, and I know that I couldn't take him with me, nor could I decide to leave him there because everybody needed help and it was just too much. But I realized that even though I say no to this, there's going to be something else that's going to come up because I didn't stop being great just because I told them no that one time. I didn't stop being Daphne. I didn't stop being that person who could add value and drive customer intimacy and drive innovation. I didn't stop being that person. And and when they understand the reason why, then they can certainly handle the fact that I said no. And so I think it's really just about balancing. My husband has been extremely valuable to me. If he had a high-powered job, and that traveled and all that it might have been tougher, but he was a counselor at a high school and so you have to you have to do what, what what works for you right If he was a big corporate executive you know CEO of this or that and flying every week somewhere, then we would have had an, a situation where I either I have to pull back or we have to get more help or, or something. Um, And and so that's what you do you just understand what is most important, but you know that those five Fs matter, are you trying to get promoted because you need more finances. Um, But if you're doing that, are you going to hurt the makeup of the family And, and which is more important your family or your money and. Nobody can decide that but you and or you can say well when I come back in two years they'll forgive me so i'll go make my money and then i'll come back in two years. It, that might work for some people, but it didn't work for me. And so I had to wait until everybody was was out um, and, uh, and then I was able to move. And I actually did relocate um, twice away from my husband, um, once to Illinois without him, and then once to Milwaukee, Wisconsin without him. And he stayed on the East Coast. And again, that came as a result of, okay, it was about a financial move, but I had to ask him honey, can I go? Because I won't go if you tell me no, because I could find a job you know, in New Jersey or New York. Um, but he said, okay, you go and let this be your last rodeo, as he calls it. Uh, you come back when you're done. You come back when it's time to retire, which when I turned 60, um, I retired uh, from GE because he told me that I had until age 60 and then I had to come home.
1: <laughs> so supportive
2: yeah that's really important i mean if you if you don't ask them husband or wife don't ask the kids if you don't ask whoever relies on you for even even if it's moral support or physical support or cooking or whatever if you don't ask them it says you don't care and of course you care but you want them to be part of the solution and they want to know okay she heard my point she heard my concern she heard my support and, 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 I, and I, I now stand by what she's doing. You have to get that support. Um, and I talk about the five Fs in the book and that how you need each of them uh, to, um, to be, you have to assess each of them based on where you are in your life. If you're learning all you can, if you're earning all you can, or if you're returning all you can, you have to know what, which of those five Fs really matter at that point in time.
1: Daphne, and was it a decision for you to have children or did you always plan to do it? And the reason I'm asking is because I actually have few clients who in that situation where they're deciding, can they even have a family or should they just focus on their career? And the world, world is so competitive, it's just not possible to do both. Was it a decision for you? And what advice would you give to people in a situation like that? And it's especially common for clients who are, immigrants so they moved from another country they don't have a family here so it will be even harder for them they will not have grandparents to help with the kids so what would be your advice and was it a decision or was it always given you definitely having a family you're not going to sacrifice that
2: yeah um I've always wanted to have a family um and it is hard the sacrifices are hard and not having uh, parents or grandparents is very, very difficult. And I think you can, I think a woman or a family can, or husband and wife or whatever, two people work living together, whatever you can have it all, just not at the same time. So there are people who freeze their eggs and, and wait until later to have children. And meanwhile, they've gone up this ladder and then they maybe plateau for a little while and then they go back up. Uh, you, you have to almost say, well, how many children is appropriate, you know, is four or is it two or is it just one, and and maybe you want to have 10 kids but you cut that back to three, maybe you want to have four and you cut it back to one or two, uh, I think having a family is important, but I don't think, I think you have to um, negotiate and sacrifice and maybe uh, alter your your plans. If you wanna have a career that's high powered, if you wanna have a career where you're, I mean, when I was at GE, for example, I was up at 4.45 every morning, 4.45 AM. And then I would get to the office about six, um, always before my first meeting. First meeting was always at seven or 7.30. And I had to focus and concentrate, and I go in meetings all day, and then I'm done at 6 p.m., I go to dinner probably with some somebody else important, um, and then I go work out. And this is when I, you know, much, much later. Um, but you have to say, what am I willing to give up? Because something, you're gonna give something up. Um, am I gonna give up my my title? Am I not gonna try to go as high in my title? Because if you're a CEO of a company and you have six children, it's you have that then you're not going to see all of them walk for the first time, you're not going to hear them with their first, you know, their first, uh, first words, um because you're going to be on the road quite a bit. So I think we can have it, but just not at the same time, you got to plan out what I want to have children first, then a career, I want to have a career first, and then have children, or I want to have them both, but I'm going to limit how many children I have, or, or, or what have you. But I think it takes some um, decision-making, it really does. And it's not easy. And I don't profess to say that it was.
1: Daphne, and as you were rising up the ladder, what was the hardest part? What were some of the biggest challenges and how did you overcome them?
2: Yeah, I'd say there were people who didn't believe in me um, because, you know, I. this may be controversial sounding, but when you look at a when people focus only on the color of the skin, and that's as far as they go, somebody who's my color doesn't remind them of an executive who would own a hundred million dollar business. A black person to a lot of the people who are white, who are in the majority, who are the big bosses, will look at a person and say, they should be cleaning my house or they should be cooking me dinner they should be watching my children. Because that's historically what black people have done. And, and if you have people who didn't grow up in a diverse neighborhood, didn't go to a diverse school, didn't have friends and played on sports with, and to realize that we're just like everybody else, just trying to make a difference and make a dollar, um, they they will be blinded um, by, by that. So I had people that, assumed that i wasn't good enough that assumed that i i'd go into a room chris and i would say what what meeting is this and they somebody said uh we're waiting for the senior vice president daphne jones this is so we think you're in the wrong room i said i am daphne jones so because i didn't have my because my secretary would print out my um my schedule and I'd walk around with it, and I, and I left it somewhere, and I just was knocking on doors, just going in so I wouldn't be too, too late. And yeah, and so people just assume that I'm not the one, right, because I'm a woman or because I'm Black or because I'm woman and Black, whatever. So not believing in me, I was a, I was a hero on Monday with one boss, you know, let's say his name is John, and then I became a zero on Friday with another boss, let's say his name is Jack. And I'm the same person, but two different people. Uh, I mean, I was very popular in in some companies and I think people got like, oh, so she thinks she's all that. Well, I didn't, but the company did. And so I I think there were people that were put in my life to to tone me down and to not make me think that I was all that. Um, So people that didn't believe in me. um, I would say, um, not having enough resources, uh, sometimes I would be given less than than what I needed in order to be able to do my job, whether it's a budget, whether it's people, and that might come from the not believing in me, or that might come from other reasons, but that was really tough, where you really had to learn how to think differently and, and be lean, um, you know, a lean thinker. Um, I would say not having enough role models that, that I could look at and say, okay, now I know how to be great like that person. People around me were men and they were white, and, and so, you know, when I was at IBM, I used to wear bow ties, that's what all the men wore, they wore bow ties and pinstripe and suits, and so I said okay. I'm going to wear a bow tie and a pinstripe suit. And I sure did, but somehow I didn't get the same recognition that they got, you know, because I wasn't a man, I wasn't white. And so, um, not getting the resources and not getting the role models that I could really follow uh, and mentors that I could really follow until I realized that I don't have to have a mentor that looks like me, I don't have to have a mentor that's a female, you know, whatever. Um, I think that was also just tough. Just having a critical mass, mass of people to say, okay, I know, I know how to, I know how to win because they're winning and I can follow their footsteps. Um, I, I would say those were I, those are the main ones that uh that hurt. Budget, uh becoming down down uh less, less believed. Uh people didn't think that I could do the job. And therefore, when people don't when people think a certain way, they act a certain way. Uh, your thoughts dictate your actions and your actions dictate the results that you receive. And so if somebody thinks that I can't do it, then they're gonna act like I can't do it. And therefore, they I won't be able to do it because they will not have put me in that position to, to win and to succeed. Um, oh, I had another one, another thought of, um, I was put in a position where um, I didn't know anything about manufacturing. I didn't, I was not a supply chain person. I knew marketing, I knew sales, but supply chain and manufacturing was tough for me. And I was actually put in a new position to, to, I guess, to prove myself, but the head of manufacturing didn't support me. And I was there as a high potential. I was there to do this job and then leave in two years with having understood and learned and did some things in the supply chain. And um, he refused to help. He refused to help, and uh, I needed education. I needed some coaching. I needed a buddy that I could walk around with and learn from. And um, was I was disappointed that I didn't get that. So, um, not getting the opportunity to to uh, to learn on the job, in some cases, was really difficult for me as well. But you find a way to win. You say, "Well, okay, that route is closed. I'm going to try that route instead." And you get creative. You get hungry. You get Innovative um, when when things aren't going your way, if your goal is to win, you find a way to
1: win. So true. Daphne, and something you mentioned I want to highlight for our listeners and viewers, and that is you mentioned about someone you are modeling, someone who you view as a mentor, and someone you're modeling doesn't have to look like you. And also the point that you actually have to find people that achieved what you you want and try to model what they have done, see the steps they have taken, see how they behave, what what is working for them and try to adapt it to yourself. And I think this is so powerful and it's very, very important not to limit yourself by saying that, no, they they don't look like me, so I cannot model them.
2: Right, that's exactly right. I mean, they they say the diversity, maybe it's not they, maybe it's me, I say that, the diversity of the input Improves the quality of the output. And so it doesn't only mean that if you're white, you should only have white mentors, and if you're a male, you should only have male. Diversity is what allows us to have different perspectives, and it allows us to see things through a different lens than someone else. And as a result, you now discover more things that you didn't discover before. And so having your network, because we are not here by ourselves and we are not here only for ourselves. I am here for you. I am here for the the next generation that's coming behind me. I'm not here by myself and I have not achieved what I've achieved only by myself. And so we owe it to each other as stewards of this earth, of stewards of, of life to be able to help other people. But we have to be open ourselves the possibility that I could learn from every situation I can learn from everybody. Mm -hmm. And, and, and there's different kinds of, you know, there's role models, there's sponsors, there's mentors, there's accountability buddies, there's coaches. I mean, there's all kinds of people that you need to have in your life in order for you to be able to win. Uh, Because you just, as the African proverb says, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. But if you want to go far, got to go together because you need to have a tribe around you who is going to you know battle those things that may come against you they, they'll battle the racism that comes against you they'll battle the sexism that comes against you they'll battle when you feel depressed and you don't feel good enough there'll be somebody who knows how to take you out of that funk right and so that that uh diversity of of your people find find your weak spots, you know, Jahari's window is something that, you know, I've used before that shows you, you know, what do people see that you also see? But there are things that you don't see that other people see. If you have the right mentor and coach and accountability buddy, they will say, Daphne, I don't know if you know this, but you always talk like super loud and you talk over people, whatever, I'm making that up. And, and, and you say, do I really? All of a sudden now I, I know more than I knew before. And that came from somebody who may not look like me. So you can learn from everybody and from everything. And, and they, you know, they say, you got to see it to be it. I didn't see it, but I realized that I still had to be it anyway so that somebody else could see me um, and, and know that they could, they could be it.
1: Daphne, and you, of course, are great at building relationships because you have to be to rise so far. What were some of the key things you learned for yourself in terms of building and maintaining long-term win-win relationships with colleagues, with clients, just generally with people that you work with that will help you accomplish more for the organization and achieve more in terms of your progression?
2: Right. Right. Well, I I would say it first starts with the 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 knowledge that you have to have relationships. Some people don't believe in it, and I'm going to tell you about something called pie P I E, and that can and it's it's a book that I have read by Harvey Coleman, and it's called Organization Gains Revealed: Empowering Yourself. And in it, it is something that my mom always said to me about performance, but the P stands for performance, the I stands for image, and the E stands for exposure, performance, image, exposure. My mom only worried about the P. She would always say, Daphne, go to work, do your job. You will do great. They will notice you. They'll promote you. You'll just, you'll just do wonderful. And so a lot of people believe that to be true. And so I though realized through Harvey's book and watching others that it's also the I. So the P is necessary. You have to perform well, but it's not sufficient. The I says, "How am I? How do I look? Do I look like I'm a professional? You know, do I look like the average professional, excellent performer around me? If people wear you know suits, am I wearing a suit or am I wearing jeans? You know, you don't want to look like you don't belong." But you also, your image is also your brand. Your brand is, um, she's collaborative. She's very inquisitive. She always uh, sees the glass half full or she's a pain in the neck. She's very negative. She always shows up really late. And if they know that you're coming to a meeting, are they like, oh yes, Chris is coming. We're gonna get a lot of work done now. Or she's coming, oh my God, we're gonna spend the first 20 minutes listening to her complain about her husband. Right. So your brand is what's important as well. And your brand needs to be good because that's what people will promote, will be a good brand. Your brand has value. And then the E is your exposure. So this gets to your question about relationships. E is exposure, and it's not only about who you know, you who you see, but it's also about who you know and who knows you. And so when you're in the middle. When you're not in Zoom and when you're not in the room where these senior executives are talking about opportunities and succession planning and promoting people and raises and this and that, um, if you're not ever in anybody's mind and you don't have exposure to them and they don't have exposure to you, then you'll never be considered for that that job in in italy or or whatever is, is going on you never had that stretch assignment and so having the belief that you have to perform well you have to have the right image um, both internally and 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 externally and um that your exposure is important now you say if i know that my network is what determines my net worth then i'm going to try to have as many people in my network as possible Now, you have to be careful of who's in your network, because as I say, not everybody that's in your circle is in your corner. Sometimes when things aren't going so well, you need somebody in your corner and you'll have people that you hang with and that's in your circle, but they're only there when you're doing well. They're only there when you're picking up the dinner tab. They're only there when you're on your way up but you'll need people around you that like in a boxing ring, when you're tired and you get cut, you go to your corner and your trainer, you know, stitches, you know, patches you up with whatever. And so having the the resources, when you have the will to do something, you get it done. If you realize that having exposure to the relationships is gonna do it, you'll do it. So you, um, first of all, know that you need to do it. Number two, you say, well, who, what what gaps do i have in my capability um and if i have a gap in i'm not a good public speaker or i'm lousy with finance and i want to become a financial expert or whatever it is then you look to those people that may have that and what i've done is you know in asking for a mentor I would go up to somebody and I said you know what I really love how you did that in the meeting or I really appreciate the book that you wrote Oh, my goodness, it really touched me and my family's heart. I, can I just spend a few minutes talking to you about what you did and how you did it. And next thing you know people love to talk about themselves, they will just talk 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 while you're in the room with them. And then, then they'll give you some nuggets and you say you know what i'm going to try that that third nugget you gave me i'm going to try that. Would you mind if I come back and talk to you about my experiences when I tried that, what you've done? And they're like, oh, sure, Daphne, come and talk to me anytime. They won't turn you down. But now you've built a relationship of somebody that can help you. And then you figure out in your discussion with them, how can you help them? Because you want to have a bi-directional relationship where you're just not taking, 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 but you're also giving as well. And so it, you really, if you, you can look at it selfishly, like I have and say, well, what do I need? And who do I need? They become part of my network. And then I feed them as well. Um, or you can just look at it and say, you know, I, I'm just here to help people, but you've got to be smart. You've got to prioritize what you need because your need to be a finance person is right now and immediate. Um, so get those people that can help fill your jar um, with finance knowledge Because you're going if, if you're trying to go after a job or, or what have you. So first know that you need to have relationships, uh, know that exposure is key, and then find out what the gap is in, in, in where you are And then find those people around you they could be in your office they could be in your church they could be in a in a group that you belong to outside of the office they could be in the chamber of commerce they don't have to only be um people that look like you or that do what you do
1: daphne this was such an incredible answer it gave so many details that anyone can go and implement it in their current organization and i actually have the entire program on mentorship, which is focuses on this uh, part that you mentioned, that you have to also do good things for them. You have to be very helpful. You have to add value to their life, their career. It cannot be only one way. It's not gonna work. That's right. That's unless right. it is some forced mentorship relationship where organization says you have to mentor one person per year and there's no way around it yes and even yeah. then it's not going to be as effective as if you also do your part and add value to that mentorship. Yeah.
2: there's a relationship component there really is and i remember um uh karen lasitra she was a senior vice president at Johnson and Johnson. I was talking to her about you know, how she, made, how she got promoted and whatnot. She said, Daphne, find something really hard, like almost impossible. It should be highly valuable and highly visible. Those are the three things, impossible to do, highly valuable and highly visible where everybody from top to bottom will see it. And she said, do that thing, do it well, and then you'll have your name up on the door. And Chris, you wouldn't believe it, I did it. I did it something, it was a and j and I created a, was a tool that I did because they could not see the profitability of the entire part of this part of J&J, a small part of J&J. They didn't know the profitability until February of the following year. I'm like, that's impossible. The data is there, but they said, Daphne, the Europeans won't give us their data. The Asians won't give us their data you know, we only have the data for the US. And so we've, we you know, long story short, um, I worked with Europe and I let Europe decide how they were going to provide the data. Usually the US always wants to start it and then we roll it out to Europe, then you roll it out to Asia. I started with Europe and I said, you guys are gonna determine how the US looks at data. And, uh, and that really made them, you know, trust me and stuff. But the point is though, Karen said, make it difficult or impossible, make it visible and make it valuable. And so that's an example of what a mentor did for me. And then I became a vice president right away, almost right away.
1: That is brilliant and such an amazing example. And examples like that are very helpful for people because then they can think, what can they do? What what is in their organization that is very difficult and people say it's not possible to do, and you go and do it and you probably did it also on top of your daily responsibilities yeah you, have so to you do implemented that. it on top of your daily responsibilities and it solved a huge problem for the organization and it yeah, was right. highly visible it has to be highly right. visible you cannot just hope that people will notice and give you credit
2: that's right that's right that's right I raised my hand and said you know and and, and because you know I've heard the word impossible before I've been told, and you know, my new word, it's not impossible, it's inevitable. We were told that, you know, nobody could ever run the four minute mile. Ah, there came Roger Bannister, right? We were told that you'd never have a black female Supreme Court justice. Ah, there's Kentucky Brown Jackson, you know, and on and on and on. And, and all of us have won. You know, we, we didn't stay in first grade forever or fifth grade or college forever, we graduated. We've learned how to do things that we have never done. We took our first job. We had never had a job before. And then we took our first job. That was brand new. So we've done many new things before, right? And so, and the reason why I wrote my book is because I want people to know that you can win when people say you won't, including yourself. Sometimes you say to yourself that you're not going to win. And, And so that to me was just really important for me to have people to understand that yeah, you can do it. You've done things before, you can do them again.
1: Daphne, and uh you, you recently wrote a book, Win When They Say You Want. What was the reason you decided to write it now?
2: Um, why I wrote the book was uh as spent so it's it's for women, you know. My publisher Danya said, Daphne, who is the book for? I'm like, it's for everybody, everybody wants to win. You know, I could, you know, what do you mean? And she said, um, but yeah, we got to narrow it down. I said, okay, it's for women, women of color. You know, how narrow should I go, you know? Um, So it it is for women, but it's also for men to be able to read, to understand what women go through, uh, to be able to help the women in their organizations as well. But as women, we've been overlooked, you know, undervalued, underpaid. We don't get access to capital. Um, you know, and our purpose and our professions and our passions have been diluted down and poisoned, as I mentioned earlier, by the misdirected whispering that's in somebody, somebody's whispering in your ear, you know, you should never try that, girls don't do that. And so you get that and then you get into imposter syndrome. Well, my goal with this book was to, um, as I ride off into the sunset of my golden years, I wanted to follow the picture of Harriet Tubman that's hanging in my office. That pushes forward into new new areas, but I want to bring people along with me, she was pulling slaves or enslaved people along with her as she moved to the free the free state. I want people to to know that there's a way that if this Jamaican, Jamaican poor girl can win, then there's no excuse for anybody else who you know wants to win again. I, I think everybody reads my book is a winner. If you wanna learn systematically how to, to win, um, then that's what the book is for. My goal is to ignite, to excite, to motivate and instruct because I don't just motivate you and get you excited. I also tell you on the four steps of how do you win um, and anything you can learn how to swim this way, you can uh, learn how to, you know, start your own company or, or whatever it happens to be that you define as winning, and you get to define it on your terms. I think one of the the ways that I do that, besides my four-step process, is the mindset of thinking like a product. If you can think like a product, what does a product have in common with us? A product has a marketplace. There are people that want what I offer. They want what this product called Daphne offers. My product has competition. Chris, you have competition in your field. I have competition in mine. There are other people that want to, to teach people how to get on boards. Um, my product, me, I have a price. I'm not free. I know you're not free. Somebody somehow is paying you. I have a value. and And you hope that your price that you're getting is exceeded by the value, that you're giving so much value for the price that you're charging. Products have a price, products have a value. And if your product does not do well, does not continuously improve itself over time, it'll become obsolete and worthless, almost worthless. So my book gives you the premise that you're a product. Your job is to find a way to win continually using my four-step process. And so I wrote it to be an example, to motivate, and to have especially women who have been beat down and dragged out and told that they're not good enough um i'm here to say that you are and that you can win
1: Daphne, and i was planning to ask you about the steps as the next question so Ah. that you brought it up maybe you could briefly list them and give some pointers on each step
2: sure sure great question so um part of what we go what i've gone through as a technologist is i've written code right i've written payroll applications and now everybody has an app on their phone 100 apps on their phone pay um dating app a driving app whatever kind of app all of those apps go through four steps four basic steps you know there could be five or six but four basic steps you plan you build you run and you maintain You plan the app, what do I want this app to do, then you you build it so against what you wanted you build it. Then you run it. Somebody is running, you know, a dating app. Somebody is running, you know, electric electrical app. Whatever you run it, and then you maintain it. Maintaining meaning you improve it over time. There's a bug in it, you fix the bug. Or there's a, another version that you want. Your iPhone is at uh, iOS 16 right now. It didn't start at iOS one at 16. It started at iOS one. So my my four steps are e d i and t first of all that word spells edit and edit means change because in the beginning of the book we talk about changing or having a mindset that is based on growth and not a fixed mindset it's a mindset that believes that suspends disbelief it's a mindset that says Boy, what would I do if I knew I would not fail? What would I do if I knew that all my needs were taken care of? So the the mindset is where it starts. And so your E is to envision. You envision what it is that you really want to be. I'm doing this today, but I really want to become something else. And we take you through, what could that something else be? What kind of leader are you? Are you a strategic leader? I have an acronym called SHIP. Strategic, hands-on? Are you influential? What kind of leader are you? What satisfies you? What dissatisfies you? So we go into you, you go you go into you in the book and you dig out what it is that makes you tick. What is your purpose? So the envision is all about how do you come out with a purpose that you are now going to put some objectives around, and that's when you go into D. The D stands for design. If I know what I want, how do I design how I'm gonna get there? If I know that I'm going to bake a cake, I now have to go through the process of assembling the materials to bake that cake. And so I have to assemble a plan and I have to prioritize some things. I can't do everything, gotta prioritize some things in, in my design. And part of that prioritization is your five Fs. Can your five Fs handle what you want? You want to become a CEO of a $20 billion company? Do you have the family support structure in place? Are you healthy enough? Becoming a CEO is not easy. And if you're not healthy, you will burn out, you know, pretty quickly or what have you mentally, physically, emotionally, etc. And so we go through all those kinds of things in your design to make sure you have a good design, a good plan and it's risk adjusted and once you go through your your design then you do i i stands for iterate iterate is when you take that plan and you then work it you put that cake in the oven and you bake it and you put it out into the marketplace you want to learn how to be a better speaker you do a couple of talks on you know ted talks or whatever and you see how the feedback was was the feedback good was it bad you don't stop wanting to be a talker or a speaker you just took that feedback and you say, okay, I'm gonna go back to my design plan and I'm going to tweak something in my plan. And I'm gonna come back and try it again. I'm gonna come back and iterate. And you iterate, you go back and forth from design to iterate, design to iterate. And then when you're done, you have transformed yourself into a speaker, and you've transformed people around you because your speaking is going to help uh, transform them. So it's envision, design, iterate, and transform. And then when you transform, you say, "Okay, I'm going to learn how, learn what I'm doing, do it really well," and then you say, "Now what's next? What can I do next?" And then you start the E all over again. So it's a cycle, it's a professional development life cycle that when you come out of it, you're at a higher point and then you get out of it again, and you're at an even higher point and you go on and on and on. And so, that's, and so you're not just a one-time winner, you're not just a success one time, you are what I call successful. You're full of success because you repeat the success, um, framework over and over again. And um, that's why it's, it's a cycle. And uh, you're into then continuous improvement, you are no longer just an iPhone at version one, you're now at version three, I'm at version 6.5 of my life. Um, uh, so I don't have as many versions as as iOS does. But uh, you learn how to become another version of yourself.
1: Is such a powerful thought? to view yourself as a product that you need to continuously improve as one of the ways you view yourself. Yeah. Daphne, and as you were going through your wonderful, impressive career, what were you doing to improve yourself other than some on-the-job training that is happening and some training that company maybe sends you to? Anything else you were doing? Did you have some kind of rhythm of uh, making sure that you're continuously growing as a professional?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, education, I've I i I've gone to Smith College, I've done Harvard um, education, um, not with a degree, you know, it was professional business education. Um, um, I joined organizations, I'm a member of uh, Digital Directors Network, I was a member of ITSMF, as a board member, I'm a member of NACD, which is the National Association of Corporate Directors. Um, I, I am always, you know, I, as I mentioned, I said it really briefly. I talked about learn, earn, return. Um, you, you know, at some stage you learn all you can, then you sort of, you know, your learning goes down, and now you're earning all you can, and then you return all you can. I, I'm doing all three. I never stop learning, but I'm, I'm more in the returning phase of my life right now. Returning to others, giving to others, philanthropically. I give my time, I give, you know, my talents, whatever. uh, But I haven't stopped learning. And so um, I've done that. Now I'm getting more into spiritual learning, um, you know, mind-body connection, because I'm such a uh, head person, very, very logical, always thinking, very cerebral. and, And sometimes, you know, your body needs some love, you know, not just your head. And, uh, I recently, I had breast cancer a year and a half ago and yeah. And I talk about it in the book as well in chapter uh, 13 and, and, uh, and, and, and it was because I think I was just, just that my whole body just did not appreciate that. And so when you talk about learning, I'm also learning how to be more connected. You know, I have this lady who's teaching me about mind body. She says, Daphne, you should try to feel your kidneys. I'm like, I can't feel my kidneys. Who can feel their kidneys? <laughs> but you know, you, it's about getting into the, into the rhythm and all that. So now I'm not only reading things intellectually about cyber or digital or, or ESG, I'm also learning about how to be more mindful about my body um, as well. So it, you never stop learning.
1: <laughs> yes, and this—I'm so sorry that you had to go through it. I'm so glad that you're okay. Oh
2: yes, yes, yeah, and, yeah. It was very, very tiny, early caught. Um, it was stage zero, so you know nothing that uh, you know. Every anything is possible. Anything could happen to me still, but uh, it's it's very, 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 very low. So I'm very blessed with that. But it made me stop and say, so it's back to iterating. You know, it was I was going through this book. I had a, I had publisher interviews while I was at the hospital because I was not going to let this cancer stop me from getting the message to people about winning when, when people say you won't. And and so your purpose has to be greater than the pain. You got to make it so. Otherwise everything will distract you. Everything will stop you. Even cancer (laughs) uh, will stop you, but you can't let that happen you've gotta you gotta persevere through, um, regardless of the circumstances.
1: that is very, very true, and so important. What you mentioned is so important that you have to pay attention to your body and listen to your body. If you listen to it, there is a lower chance you will have a situation where you will have some kind of very bad health scare yeah. because you were just ignoring all the signals you were receiving. it's yeah. so much. We have many clients who are very, very driven professionals. And so listening to the body is the last item on the.
2: And that's where if you, I I get into the five Fs in, um, in chapter three or four, five Fs, fitness is one of them, fitness. And it's not just mental and emotional. It's your physical fitness, listening to your body. Do you get, you know, thank God I went and got, I get mammograms every year. And, you know, so, so whatever it happens to be, whatever your fitness situation is, you've got to focus on it, but I tell you, you do these five Fs, nothing, there's not much, you know, what's missing, maybe your friends, you know, you can call them family, that I have a family F, add your friends to that, you know, make up your own five Fs, make up your eight Fs, whatever the eight Fs are for you, that no matter what you go into, you want to make sure that they're all okay. Otherwise, you're going to be a public success and a private failure. Something will go wrong inside your body, inside your bank account, you know, in, inside your home or whatever. And, and you've got to uh, not be a, you want to be a public success and a public and a private success, I mean.
1: Yes. Daphne, and maybe you could expand a little bit on key things you learned during kind of, once you learned, you need to pay attention to your body. What did you change in the way you live your life? Yeah. Anything you could share?
2: Yeah, um, I now know that my body is telling me it doesn't like everything I do. And so I have become vegan, um, vegetarian, you could say, you know, I, I, I might eat a piece of chicken once in a great while, but I really don't. I take vitamins, I drink and eat everything organic. So what comes into my body is I'm very careful about that. Um, I meditate when I talk about mindfulness. You know, I do body tapping and head tapping and 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 all those things uh, to calm me down, to make sure that my blood pressure is low. And I always, I take my blood pressure almost every day to make sure that I see if there's a pattern that that it's that it's very good. And so what goes in my body, um, I work out probably five or six days a week. I worked out this morning about an hour and a half, almost two hours. So I, I stay physically strong um, and uh, I don't do enough uh, uh, weight training. I do mostly like an hour on the elliptical and half an hour on the bike and and then a little bit of, of strength training. Um, and I do that. And uh, I think I mentioned meditation. And I, and I think I, I take my calendar and I, you know, writing this book is just a big deal because nothing else has stopped. Um, when they tell me, Daphne, we need for you to edit this book, you know, and, and it's due in a week and a half. I'm like, a week and a half, I've got a board meeting. What do you mean a week and a half? And they say, well, you know, we can always delay the book. I'm like, oh, geez, I can't delay the book. So all of a sudden this comes on me. And 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 there are times when, you know, my little right eye starts twitching because it's a sign of stress. And, and, and if it, that ever happens, I shut down I start to parse out things more. And so that's what I've learned to do. So it doesn't twitch anymore, but I've had to parse out things. If I've got four things to do, I'm not gonna try to do all four today. I'm gonna do one today, maybe two tomorrow and one next week. And I time activate things. I put things, I say, I'm gonna worry about that like next Thursday you know and and because it's not due till next friday you know so i worry about it today so i parse things out and i call it time activation where it's activated by the time of the day or the day of the week and when that happens then i worry about that and i don't think about it until then um and and that allows me to be very calm and and um and focused on what i've got at hand and so those are some of the things that, that I do, which, which and I sleep eight, nine hours every night. I don't go to bed at midnight or 1 a.m. And I sleep until I wake up, unless I'm going to be traveling and then I have to get up at four for a 5.30 flight or something. But
1: yeah, I, I get plenty of rest. Thank you so much for sharing it. And the <laughs> eye twitching. I experienced it. It may be very common thing. People should pay attention because when your eye starts twitching, for me as well, I know that it's just too much. I need to step yeah. back a little bit, see what I can delegate more <laughs> and yeah. uh, what maybe doesn't need to happen right now. Yeah, you exactly. Take that care of yourself.
2: Exactly. Absolutely right. Absolutely right.
1: Yes. And I have a question for you on behalf of some of our listeners and clients. I know that there are a few people that come to mind and I know more of people are listening in a similar situation that lost their jobs. They were working for a large startup. So not very large, but relatively large. It ran out of money and they lost their job. And they have good background and they were networking for a few months and they cannot find a job. What would you recommend? Because you are such a brilliant person. What would you do if you were in a situation like that? So you already tried for a few months, nothing seemed to work. You already tried to get help from your current network. Any ideas that would come to mind anything that you would implement if you were in that situation?
2: Well, first of all, I would um, take a look at myself, I would say, uh, because I was laid off from IBM. I, I talk about that in the book as well. And IBM, I mean, that was my dream job. That was my dream company. I mean, I only interviewed for a couple of companies when I was in college and they were, one, they were one of them. And I said, I'm gonna work for IBM. And then they accepted me, it was a beautiful thing. Next thing I know, 10 years later, 15 years, I forgot how many years it was, I'm, they're laying me off. So um, I talk about doing a SWOT analysis. So, so my suggestion is do a SWOT analysis. Because in my book, there's so many tools that, that, our, that companies use all the time that we never use for ourselves. We use it and we know what a SWOT analysis is. Because we do it for our companies all the time when they're looking at the market or looking at customer segmentation or whatever. And so SWOT is an example of what we can use for ourselves. So I would say, first of all, what do you have going for you? Like make that as big as you can. I'm friendly, I know math, I'm a scientist, I, I love dogs, whatever it is, write them down. And then what is the weakness? You know, Do you have something where you, um, I don't know, you don't speak up enough. You're an introvert and you never talk. That could be, a, that could be perceived, it could be a strength, it could be a weakness um, and, and identify what those are. And then your opportunities, what opportunities do you have now looking at those strengths? So I love dogs, maybe I can be a dog walker. I can open up a dog walking business, right? And just making that up. And so you look at your strengths, everybody has a superpower, everybody has a gift and in chapter one or two i talk about purpose purpose is the intersection between your passion and your capabilities if you have a passion about being a doctor but you hate science and math that's not your purpose you're not meant to be a doctor (laughs) right if you don't like science and math but you but you you know you love medicine or something um so what you are capable of doing what you have capacity for so i would say can you open up your own business? Can you start your own business while you are looking for and 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 uh, networking and, and and all that so that's the first thing. Consider that then you go to you don't stop um, you know my husband and I were just talking about how baseball players, if they have average of three a point three five oh they're a great baseball player that means one out of three times they hit the, the so they just got to keep swinging. Cause if you keep swinging, eventually you'll hit the ball. Right. And even at 0.350, which I can't believe that that's considered success, but it is for baseball, they will hit the ball. So they start looking at their, their own business based on their strength. Uh, get a GoDaddy URL, you know, mydogwalkingbusiness.com. And you never know, you know, whatever. So uh, that number two, the networking is important to continue. Um, Go to a place you haven't gone before, meet people you've never met. And the more you do that, the more you're going to because people tend to go with who they're comfortable around. It's almost like the 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 um, the mentor discussion, you know, I don't I'm not going to go just to this black organization, this black event, I'm going to go to a white event, I'm going to find some white friends, because I don't have any and I'm going to find out how I can you know, hang out with them. And next thing you know, they're like, what do you do, Daphne? Oh, you walk dogs? Uh, whatever. <laughs> what do you do, Daphne? Or oh, you're a cyber person or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, there's always somebody looking for you, always.
1: Very true. Thank you so much, Daphne. We are getting close to wrapping up. Thank you so much for your time. I have one last question for you. And then if there's anything else you would like to share afterwards so my last question my favorite question to ask is what were two three aha moments realizations in the last few years that were instrumental for you personally or professionally something that changed the way you look at the world yeah
2: well um i was always told that i could be a ceo and i have never ever thought that i could and when this opportunity came up for me to teach, because I'm a teacher by nature, I realized that I was becoming a CEO. And I, I, you know, CIOs are not CEOs. CIOs report to the CEO. And and this has come up. And now I have emboldened myself. I have even more confidence than I did before when I took what I love doing, which is teaching and helping others and And shining light, you know I want to shine the light on them and and help them with my little flashlight when I realized that doing that. And now I have five people that work for me i'm a CEO and so that doing what you love and doing what you have a passion for allowed me or doing what I had a passion for allowed me to become a CEO and now you can't tell me I can't do anything because I was told that I wouldn't go to college right and and so I think that's the that's one thing that's really changed. Um, having grandchildren is the second thing um, I have a nine month old grandson named Mars, uh, M-A-A-R-Z and um, uh, I have another grandson named Chase, C-H-A-S-E. I don't know where his names came from. You know, they're not like John, Paul and Harry, but you know, they're <laughs> I, we love them to death. Nine months and uh, 16 months old. And now I'm working to leave a legacy for them. I want them to say, what did grandma do? What did grandma do? Grandma did that? Wow. So whatever it is that I can do to help other people and let my grandchildren be proud is, is what I want to do. And I also want to make sure I have time for them. I never cared about my time. I never cared about not working. I was just like, I, I'm here to work. I'm here. I'm like a machine. I'm here to work. And because of them, um, I, I, I want to spend time with them. I want to be more mindful And intentional about what I do spend my time on so that I could go to London and see Mars or I can go to New York and see Chase um, and, and hopefully other grandchildren as they come along as well. So those are the two things that come to my mind.
1: Powerful. Daphne, anything else you would like to share before we wrap up?
2: There's something that I believe strongly in. And, you know, there are a lot of times people ask for permission to prosper or they suffer in silence they're just afraid and they're they they just don't know that they can have an impact and and i'm reminded about the story about the carrot the egg and the coffee bean and I want everyone to to know about this story. The story goes like this, there was a young girl who was ready to quit and she went to her mother she was upset she was crying and she said I can't take it anymore it's just too much pressure I can't do it, and so her mom goes into the kitchen says come here with me. So she goes in the kitchen with her mom, her mom is boiling, has a boiling pot of water on the stove. And she says, okay, look at this carrot. And she said, describe it for me. So the daughter says, it's hard, it's tough, it snaps in, it's crispy. And so then mom puts that carrot in the water. After 20 minutes later, she takes the carrot out and says, now describe the carrot. She said, oh, the carrot just kind of fell apart. It's all mushy and it's like baby food and soft and all that. So she said, okay, good. Let's take this this raw egg, describe the raw egg. It's, it's very delicate, it's, pal- it's malleable inside, um, it's soft. So put it in the, in the hot water. So she puts it in the hot water, the egg then becomes bitter, tough, hard, not pliable, not agile, not malleable. So then she takes a bunch of, of coffee beans and throws them in the water. And, what happens? The coffee beans change the water. So, so many times we find ourselves in hot water. So many times we find ourselves in trouble in a situation that we never wanted to be in and didn't think we would, want, would ever be in. The question is, are we going to become a product of our environment? Are we gonna let the hot water soften us up, make us bitter, make us angry? or are we going to be the ones that will make the environment a product of us? The coffee bean makes the water a product of itself. My goal in life is to not only be a product of my environment, but it's also to make the environment a product of me. And I hope your your audience and your viewers will all join me in doing that. And my book will show you how.
1: Thank you, Daphne. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone again for tuning in. Our guest today again has been Daphne Jones. You can check out Daphne's book. It's called Win When They Say You Want. And I'll see you guys all next time. Thank you, Daphne, for being with us.
0: Thank you, Chris. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing